We're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew this morning. If you brought your Bibles with you, you can go ahead and turn and open there. Again, that's the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be in the 25th chapter, verses 14 through 30. If you didn't bring your Bible with you, that scripture will be on the screen behind me when we get to that point. So I get nervous when I borrow things, especially things of value, or even if they're not of monetary value, things that I know that people place value upon. If it's meaningful to someone, either in how much it costs them to actually buy it or that it was given to them and has some sort of keepsake level of importance, I'm always nervous when I'm handling somebody else's things, when I'm handling somebody else's valuables. And maybe that goes back to a time when I was a student in a youth group out in a little uh, West Texas country church. Uh, One year we decided that we were going to take our youth on a youth camp to Glorieta, New Mexico. Uh, Glorieta, New Mexico, one of the big Baptist locations, Baptist getaways, I guess, for for camps during the summer, Uh, especially back then, not not as much today, but especially then. And and so we drove from hot West Texas up to Glorieta, New Mexico. And if you've ever been there, you know that it's up in the mountains, that it's beautiful, that it's cool. Uh, and it was, it was a great camp, but the way that we got there didn't go exactly as planned. You see, my pastor, who was also our youth minister, because we were a very small church, uh, was not yet 25 years old. We didn't have a church van, and being not yet 25 years old, you probably know that he couldn't rent a van from the kinds of companies that rent out vans, because you've got to be 25 years old, or at least you did then. I don't know if that's still the law, to rent a van in the state of Texas. And so he couldn't do that. And so <clears throat> we decided that we would ask churches around us. We asked all the Baptist churches around us. Either they didn't have a van, or they all said no. And so we started asking other churches, and finally the Roscoe United Methodist Church decided to let us borrow their church van. And so we all loaded up in that church van. Uh, we, we, I think we had another vehicle that was uh, carrying all of the luggage. And we drove the six or seven hours to Glorieta. Uh, and again, we went from hot West Texas up into the cool mountain air of New Mexico. And if, you know, if you do that, when you still have the hot air inside the van, as well as a bunch of teenagers full of hot air inside the van, that uh, there, soon, there was condensation on the windows. And as my pastor was, was driving, we, we made it all the way to the camp. Nothing bad happened on the road in between West Texas and Glorietta. But while we were driving up to our cabins after we had checked in, somebody said there's a bear because we had been told that there are bears that sometimes come down out of the mountains in Glorietta, New Mexico. I don't know if there really was a bear or not because the next thing all of us felt was a thunk on the side of the van because my pastor, thanks to both the condensation on the windows and to the idea that there might have been a bear out to the right, had sideswapped one of the big trees up in Glorietta, New Mexico and put a big dent in the side of the Roscoe United Methodist Church church van. Now, we, we, decide, we all laughed. We thought it was hilarious. Our youth minister slash pastor did not. It was the first time that I heard a man of God use a choice word. Maybe not the very first time, but one of the first times that I remember. And so we got out, and of course, being students, we, we got the part of the tree trunk that he knocked off, and we took it back home to West Texas as a keepsake so that we could remember that story. Uh, but we brought it back home. He, he was fine after about five minutes and cooling down, and we, we all kind of laughed about it. But we stopped laughing about it when we got back home because it turns out that the Roscoe United Methodist Church insurance policy didn't cover uh, the fact that we accidentally put a big dent in their van. And so Roscoe was a nearby town. 
And so every time I would go into town and we would drive by the Methodist church for like six months, their poor van sat outside with a big dent that Champion Baptist Church, their friendly neighbor, uh, who was so gracious that they, we had, they had allowed us to borrow their van, had put in the side of that van. And so from that point forward, any time the idea of borrowing or even loaning a van as a church comes up, I have that firmly implanted in my memory, not only vans in churches, but anytime I want to borrow anything, I have that idea implanted in my memory as I don't want to mess this up. Somebody entrusted this to me, and I really want to do my best to take good care of it. I'm so careful about that, and some of you may identify with this, that when I need a tool or something else, that there's a part of me that would almost, even if I know I'm only going to use it once, that would almost rather go to Lowe's or Home Depot and buy the tool that myself so that I don't have to ask to borrow it from somebody else. Anybody else identify with that? Am I the only man like that? Okay, I'm not. Thank you. There's some ladies in the house too that have that same mentality. We would rather just buy it ourselves. Now, you know, if, it, if it's a, a really expensive machine, I might suspend that rule, but most of the time we would rather just handle that ourselves so that we don't have to borrow. You see, because when you borrow something, you know that it's expected upon you from the person loaning that object to you that you are going to handle that thing with great care and use it for its intended purpose and then give it back. at least in as good a shape as you received it. If you've ever rented a car, which I know many of you have, uh, usually today when they send you out, they'll tell you how much gas is in the gas tank and you have to bring it back with at least that much in it or they will charge you something five, six dollars a gallon in order to refill it. You have to bring it back to them at the level that they loaned it out to you. When you borrow something, you handle it with great care, use it for its intended purposes, and then give it back. Your life is borrowed. Your money is borrowed. We talked about that last week. That you have absolute ownership over absolutely nothing. Everything that you have, even the breath in your lungs, but certainly the money in your bank account, is given to you by God. He has loaned it to you. All of that is borrowed. And in that same way, we ought to take what God has given us from the abilities that we have to the material blessings that we have to the non-material blessings that we have, like our relationships with people, and we ought to use those things for their intended purposes, handling them with great care, and give it back when we're done. Using what God has given us and being a good steward over it. You see, we in the church today, as Christians... As followers of Jesus Christ, saved by his grace and indwelled by his Holy Spirit, we are part of God's investment strategy. You are part of God's investment portfolio. He has diversified his spirit as such in the world that he has blessed all the different believers in the world with certain gifts, certain abilities, certain amounts of money, certain amounts of material and non-material blessings so that we may go into the world and achieve or do our part in achieving his mission and allowing him to achieve his mission through us to make disciples of all nations, to love God and to love other people. This is what God has called us to do with the things, the blessings that he has loaned to us. It's what we are called to do with what we have borrowed from God. God has blessed you to use you. This is the main thrust that I want to put before you this morning. God has blessed you to use you. He has given to you so that you may give to others. And so what I want you to ponder 
as we read the scripture here in a moment, as well as we continue to expound upon that scripture. Just a couple of questions. One, what do the blessings God has given you tell you about the calling that God has given you? In other words, What's, you've all been gifted. You've all been blessed in different ways, both with, like I said, non-material gifts, abilities, relationships, influence, things like that, as well as actual material gifts, from the money in your bank account to the land that you own, all of those sorts of things. What is God telling you about your calling based upon what he has given you? What is he calling you to do with the gifts that he has loaned to you? And how are you using what God has blessed you with? How are you using your wealth to fulfill God's calling on your life. These ideas are found, again, in in the passage we're going to read this morning in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. Many of you know this passage well. Luke tells a similar version of this story as Jesus tells the parable that we all call the parable of the talents. Again, it's Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. Jesus says these words. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed, so I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This parable is the third of four parables in order in Matthew 24 and 25 that deal with being ready for the coming of God, for the day of the Lord, as is often referenced in the Old Testament, what we would call the second coming of Jesus Christ, when God would come to finally consummate and fulfill and glorify his kingdom. 
in Jesus' teaching along those lines. Again, starting all the way back to chapter 24 where he teaches about it directly and then he begins to tell these stories, these parables to encourage us to always be ready, whether it's uh, the parable of the ten virgins with the lamps of oil and, and always being prepared because the bridegroom might come at any moment to begin that, that final consummation, that final wedding ceremony where we are, are brought up with him and are we going to be ready for that moment. And likewise, in this story, Jesus is telling a story, telling us about how we ought to constantly be ready in what we're doing in the meantime between now and when the Lord finally returns. When God comes to finally bring an end to all things and again, glorify us with his son in heaven for eternity. What are we doing in the meantime to be prepared for that moment? Now, when you think about the idea of the parable of the talents, sometimes we can, we can get confused just based off of that word that we use. Um, talent, it's, it's a word in Old English. It was used in the Roman and Greek world as a measure of money. Now, even subconsciously, we can, when we hear the word talent, even though most of you probably know that it's referring to money and not some sort of immaterial gift that you might have or talent that you might have or ability, uh, it, it still can, we can sometimes allow ourselves to, to interpret it as some kind of, again, gift, ability, uh, actual talent as we would use in our words. But the word talent here means a measure, a large measure of money. Most scholars believe that it could be a measure of money equal to 15 to 20 years worth of wages for a common worker in Jesus' day. It's, it's a ton of money, in other words. And so five, five talents that the first individual was given, that would be worth a whole lifetime worth of work instead of just 15 or 20 years. It was essentially a big bag of money is essentially what the word talent means. We don't know exactly how much money it is. It would be equivalent to us just kind of shooting off a round number and saying millions of dollars. It, it, we're not actually talking about a literal amount of money. We just want to use a big amount. And so we say something like, this person was given a million, this person was given five million. Now, a talent was a literal amount here, but we don't know what that amount was. We just know that it was a ton of money. And so Jesus is telling a story uh, about an individual, a master, who had great amounts of wealth and who entrusted that wealth to other individuals while he was away, entrusted it to be used for a certain purpose. And he went away, and then after a long time, we don't know how long that time was, he came back, as it said, to settle accounts. And to the one who had five talents and made five more, they were welcomed into their master's rest. They were congratulated. They were told, well done. They were given an attaboy. In other words, with the one who had the two talents that made two more, he got the same response, the same reaction from the master. But from the one who had one talent and buried it, things went south quickly. And it tells us a few things, this parable. First, no matter how much or how little God has given you, he expects you to use it. The two faithful servants were rewarded equally. They both, he, God said, or the master said the same thing to each of them. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will give you much. Enter into your master's rest. Enter into your master's joy. Their reward was equal even though one had double the money of the other one, or more than double money than the other one. One had ten talents at this point, and the other had four. You see, it's not about the amount that God has given you. It's about what you do with that amount. You can be just as faithful with a little as you can with a lot. Because if you look at God's math when it comes to money in Scripture, God is about percentages. 
He's not about the number that's on the ledger as far as how much someone has given. It's how much of yourself you're willing to give. That's what's the measure of a true, cheerful giver that we learn about in Scripture. Of someone who's willing to give it all. Consider the widow who gave the widow's mind. You know that story that Jesus tells. Who gave the last pennies, the last money that she had. And Jesus wants all of us to be like her. Even though what she gave was mere change, pocket change, compared to the Pharisees that he was talking to in that story. They could have given that in a moment's notice, but it wasn't the amount of money, it was the percentage of that money. That's why when we talk about tithing, it's a good place to start, because it's different for everybody. It solely depends on what you make. You, you know, we could set it and we could say, uh, you know, instead of tithing, everybody should give $50 a week or $100 a week and have some round number. Some of you would be able to do that easily. Some of you would be able to, wouldn't be able to do that at all because you don't have that sort of income. What God is asking of us when it comes to giving, what he is asking of us when it comes to what he has loaned to us and wants us to be a good steward over is how much of ourselves are we willing to give? How much of ourselves are we willing to put into what God has called us to? How big are your blessings? Something we can think about this week. Hopefully you have already. And hopefully you don't just do it this week. But it's always, we always do this in my family on Thanksgiving. And I know I've told you this in years past. Is we talk about what we have to be thankful for. And I know sometimes we can get cynical about that and we can say, oh, here we go again, doing the same old traditional thing. But it really is a good practice to sit and talk and remind both those around us as well as ourselves as to what God has done for us this year. When you sit and recollect those things, I hope that you are moved to a spirit of worship. I mean, God is awesome, isn't he? Take a deep breath. Be thankful for the oxygen in the atmosphere. God is awesome in in everything that he has given us. And and that ought to be the first reaction. But the second one ought to be something along the lines of, gosh, God has given me so much. Especially, we don't want to get into a comparison game, but relative to the rest of the world, God has given us in the United States so much. And yes, that's awesome, and he is awesome for doing that, but, but it ought to cause us to look inwardly and ask ourselves, what am I doing with what God has given? Uh, am I being a good steward of the talents and abilities that God has given me? Am, am I being a good steward of the actual monetary wealth that God has blessed me with? He must expect a lot. God's generous blessings are evidence of his rigorous expectation. And in case you're wondering, you have been given a lot in our world today. You're rich if you live in the United States of America. Most of you, 99% of you in this country. We'll talk more about that next week. But God has given you so much. Uh, not only monetarily, but, but you have a voice and you have influence You have people that you lead, whether it's family or it's in your job or it's at this church or it's in your school. God has given you a voice and an influence. 
God has given you knowledge and reach that were unimaginable a century ago. The ability to amass knowledge and ideas and, and, and facts. We are so, like everybody. Now, now, like human race as a whole, we have been growing and there have been tons of smart people in the past. But all of us, even us normal people who don't have the really great, huge, big, smart ideas, we are able to access those ideas because of modern technology and because of how open everything is. You have access to more knowledge and a greater reach than this world has ever seen. And then a hundred years ago, people would have even dreamed possible. We have been given these gifts by an awesome God and not to move us into that place where we say God is awesome, but at the same time look inwardly and say, what is God expecting from me? What am I doing as a steward of these gifts? Because if we become self-serving with our blessings, God will remove them. Consider the unfaithful servant. First of all, you got to love what he does. He pulls an Adam. He knows that the master is upset with him, and the first thing that he does is blame his master. You remember the story of Adam and Eve, right? When, when God approached Adam in the garden, what did he say about eating the apple? He said, the woman that you gave me ate it. She gave me the apple. It's her fault. Therefore, it's your fault. And, and, and this guy in the parable, this unfaithful servant is saying the same thing. I did this because I know that you were expecting a lot out of me. I, I know that you had high expectations and that you're a hard master. And, and this is one of those places in the parable where we have to be careful and not make it absolute uh, similarity between the master and God. God is not a, a hard master in the same way that this master is a hard master. But God does have certain expectations with the gifts that he has given us. For the master in the parable, the, the expectation was that you were going to take this and you were going to do something with it. You were going to invest. I was going to have a return on my investment with you. Any, any of you who are blessed enough financially to be able to be invested in, in the stock market or mutual funds or something else in the world, uh, what you're wanting when you invest is not for your money to stay the same amount, right? You're wanting it for act, to actually grow because you know that to the laws of inflation that if it stays the same amount, it actually becomes worth less, right? Uh, it's worth less than it was five years ago, even if the number is exactly the same, because that amount of money is worth less than it was five years ago. And so when you give your money to someone, you're wanting it to produce. This is what the master wanted. And the unfaithful servant knew that. And that's what the master says to him. You knew this is what I wanted. And what you did is you buried it in the ground. Now, back then, with the banking system that they had, that probably was the safest avenue to make sure that that money at least stayed for us, it would probably, I would think it's safer to go put it in the bank today than it would be to bury it in the ground. So it would just be going and putting it in some sort of, not even a savings account, because even then you're going to get a couple of cents increase per month, right? Because there's a little bit of interest that comes in a regular savings account. No, this is a money that doesn't have any interest at all. It's like taking cash and putting it in a safe deposit box and locking it away and saying, I'm doing what God told me to because I'm just protecting this gift. And why am I protecting this gift? Because I'm afraid for myself is essentially what the unfaithful servant says. I didn't want to lose it. And so I'm going to protect it so that you don't punish me. And the master says, you completely missed the point. The point was not for you to protect it. The point was for you to do something with it. The unfaithful servant knew that his master expected a return upon his investment, but he was too worried about himself to do what he knew he was supposed to do. You see, you can enjoy your blessing or you can protect your blessing, but you can't do both. 
You can enjoy your wealth, and and I mean this in in a God-honoring way, of course, or you can protect and hoard your wealth, but you can't do both. Here's a cliche that goes with that. You can't have your cake and eat it too, right? I was like 20 before I fully understood what that actually meant. For years I thought, wait a minute, I can have my cake and, and eat it too. That's, but what that means is, and you, you know this, right? Once you have your cake and it's there, but once you eat it, it's gone, right? You don't have it anymore. You either get to enjoy it or protect it. You either get to enjoy it or hold on to it tightly. You don't get to do both. And so it is with all the blessings that God has given us. Whether it is your talents and abilities or it is actual physical dollars and cents that God has given you, you either get to hold on to it tightly or you get to use it for its kingdom purposes. You get to enjoy it, but you don't get to do both. You can't hoard God's blessings and use God's blessings. You need to make a choice which one you're going to do. Have you ever watched any show on television or, or studied anything about high-end art collectors? Many high-end art collectors, they will go and they'll buy some super expensive painting, like a Van Gogh or something. And then they'll get a reproduction of that painting as well. You know what I'm talking about, right? And they'll take the actual painting, the original, and they'll put it in some glass box and lock it away where nobody can see it. And then they'll take the reproduction of it, and that is what they'll hang on their wall. How many of us in the Christian faith do that? Like we are an original masterpiece crafted by God, but we're so worried about what God might expect out of us, what God might require out of us, that we're not actually going to completely throw ourselves into what God has for us because we want to hold on tightly to what we have. And so we put some fake facade, we we bury the gift, and we act like everything is normal and okay when God is asking us, no, put it on display. Why would you spend $10 million on a piece of of art and then lock it away in a dark room for the rest of your life. That makes no sense. Why would you welcome the Holy Spirit into your life who has gifted you in unimaginable ways and then never share those gifts with another person? That makes no sense. Why would you know the gospel truth that Jesus can save from sin, wipe away the guilt of sin and guarantee you an eternity in heaven and those around you and never tell another person about that awesome truth? That makes no sense. You have the Holy Spirit within you, within your abilities and talents, within your bank account as well, seeking to be used, seeking to use you. God has blessed you to use you. And what does he want? How does he want to use you? Now, here's a place where biblical context is key. This is Matthew 25, 14 through 30. If you read verses 31 through the end of the chapter in Matthew 25, you will see the fourth and final parable about being ready. Before Jesus, the story of Jesus' crucifixion, that narrative begins in chapter 26. And the final parable about being ready is the parable of the sheep and the goats where Jesus talks about essentially the difference between those who really follow him and those who just give lip service to him. The sheep, the followers, the goats, the ones who just give lip service. The difference is whether or not you will care for the least of these. Whether or not you will see someone hungry and feed them, naked and and clothe them. Whether you will go and, and be with them in their time of need. That's the true measure. 
And so Jesus tells this story of people who have been given abilities or people who have been given money that they are expected to use and the master has gone away and he's coming back someday. And he tells this to a group of people just before he's getting ready to leave and then come back come back again someday. We're talking probably days, maybe a week before the whole story begins to happen. Uh, probably days before Jesus is crucified and then you know a month or so before he actually ascends into heaven. And so we know that Jesus is about to leave the premises that he is going to come back someday and he is preparing these people saying essentially you're like the servants here you have been gifted what are you going to do with those gifts something is expected out of you and here's what it is in the rest of Matthew 25 it's to take what God has given you and to give it away to other people It's to be a good steward, to take the blessing that God has given you and use it to bless other people. One of the reasons I love Thanksgiving is because it helps us to be mindful of what God has done for us and hopefully pushes us into a spirit of giving out of thankfulness to other people. To giving out of what God has already given to us away to others who need it more desperately than we do. Again, What do the blessings that God has given you tell you about the calling that God has given you? If God has given you great wealth, and some of you in this room do this already, and I'm grateful. If God has given you great wealth, how is he wanting you to use that wealth to benefit his kingdom? What ministry is he wanting you to support? Maybe it's this church. Maybe it's somebody else. We're not self-serving, and we're asking you to just give here. We, we want you to, and we would love for you to. But at the same time, we know that God might be calling you to use those resources in a number of ways. If God has given you maybe something that's not material in that way, or at least not financial in, in the sense of actual money, maybe God has blessed you with, with land or with an awesome home that he wants you to open up to the people around you. Uh, maybe God has, has blessed you with, with a great business mind that allows you to have a great business, and, and God wants you to use maybe not your wealth, but maybe the wealth of your business for the glory of his kingdom. Or, or, or maybe you're here today and you don't feel wealthy. You're wondering how you're going to buy your kids Christmas presents this year, and so you think you're out of that category uh, of being used. Again, we'll talk about that next week, and we'll look at how you really are rich on the world standards. But maybe it's not financial. Maybe it is something else. Maybe it's the ability to relate to other people, or, or maybe it's the ability to communicate, or, or maybe it's the ability to pray, or whatever it is that God has gifted you with. What does the way he's gifted you tell you about the way that he has called you? How are you going to use your wealth, your gifts, your abilities to fulfill the calling that God has in your life? God has blessed you to use you. Use the blessings God has given you to fulfill the calling that God has given you. Again, to love God and love people, to make disciples of all nations, and to care for the least of these in their distress. Let me close with this. Imagine that this afternoon the master were to return and call for a settling of accounts as Jesus talked about in the parable. Imagine he were to say to you, servant, the one I gave five talents or two talents or one talent, how'd it go? What did you do with what I blessed you with? How did you use the ability to communicate How did you use that outgoing, extroverted personality and friendliness that I gave you? 
How did you use your privilege as an American in the 21st century? How did you use that for my kingdom? That business that I gave you to be a steward over, what is that doing for, for my kingdom? That, 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 that retirement that is, that is fruitful and, and, and allowing you to, to live comfortably in, in this day, how are you using that for your kingdom? How about the health that I've given you? How are you using that? Now, I don't want to question your salvation. That's not at all what I'm here to do. If God has saved you, if he has freed you, you are free indeed. I don't want to put any chains back on you. But I do want you to take seriously the fact, again, that you are part of God's investment portfolio. That he has diversified his Holy Spirit in such a way that he has put gifts in each one of us. And he expects a return. Now, it's not on your own accord. It's according to what God has already put in you. It's his spirit at work. It's his gifts at work. But how have you been investing when he has invested in you? In the sense that Jesus is talking in Matthew 24 and 25, to always be ready. Your life is borrowed. Your abilities are borrowed. Your wealth is borrowed. When the one that you're borrowing it from returns, what will you be able to give back to him? 